please. Good evening, everyone. I'm Doug Elmendorf, the dean of the Harvard Kennedy School, and it's my honor to welcome you all to the John F. Kennedy Jr. Forum for tonight's conversation with Max Finberg. Max is the director of AmeriCorps VISTA. We are very fortunate to have Max with us tonight. Please join me in giving him a warm welcome to the Kennedy School. Tonight's uh, event uh, is the beginning of the Kennedy School's Public Service Week. The Kennedy School started Public Service Week in 2009 to give the entire school community an opportunity to come together to serve our fellow citizens. And there'll be a set of events through the week, uh, finishing with a day of service on Friday. I am very grateful to the Student Public Service Collaborative for its hard work in organizing the week's activities and grateful to the Institute of Politics for organizing tonight's event. I'm delighted that Max Finberg could be with us here tonight. Max has been a dedicated public servant for many years. He has served in a number of important capacities in the US government and in the nonprofit sector. I will mention some, but not all of them. Uh, Max worked on agricultural and hunger-related issues with Tony Hall, who was a congressman and then the, UNM, and then the US ambassador to UN agencies uh, for food and agriculture. Uh, Max was the first director of the Alliance to End Hunger, a nonprofit organization that works in the United States and around the world with businesses, religious organizations, charities, and foundations to, in their words, quote, build the public and political will to end hunger. Uh, then Max directed, directed the U.S. Agriculture Department's Center for Faith-Based and Neighborhood Partnerships, uh, which works with community organizations to reduce rural poverty. He worked for President Obama's Domestic Policy Council on immigration, child nutrition, and outreach. He served as a senior advisor at the Agriculture Department, where he was also the acting director of their Office of Tribal Relations. And last fall, Max became the director of AmeriCorps VISTA. That's a, quite a record of accomplishment in a set of very important roles, and we'll talk about that as, uh, as we spend uh, the next hour together. For those who don't know, VISTA stands for Volunteers in Service to America. President Kennedy introduced the idea. The program was established in 1965 uh, with a mission of uh, reducing poverty across the United States. It was, uh, became part of the AmeriCorps network uh, in the 1990s. Uh, and now there are about 8,000 VISTA volunteers, maybe you say VISTAs, 8,000 VISTAs serving in more than 1,000 uh, projects across the country. And if you didn't notice, uh, in today's uh, Crimson, I noticed there's a big advertisement, Fight Poverty, Join AmeriCorps VISTA. I'm not sure this was time for your being here tonight or it was a coincidence, maybe it was a little, <laughs> a little planned. Um, we are honored, as I said, to have Max with us tonight. I think um, we're going to learn a lot. I thought I will ask questions for a while, uh, touching on two sorts of topics. I'm curious to hear more about Max's career, uh, what the path he followed and why. And I'm also curious to learn uh, much more about what VISTA is doing and the problems that Max sees in the world and the ways that he and his colleagues are going about addressing them. Mm -hmm. So I'll ask questions on those topics and after a little while I'll turn it over uh, to you and um, you can ask uh, questions as well. So why don't we start with you? How did you get started in public service? What led you to public service and how did you start focusing on hunger and poverty in particular? Mm -hmm. I grew up in a uh, small town in rural upstate New York, in the, uh, just off the Hudson Valley. And that close-knit community for me was was part of the understanding of what it meant to give back. So dad was a teacher growing up uh, and helped to organize the community to build the, the local playground. That was just one example that I had that of course you help others. And 24 years ago when I was in school just up the street at Tufts University, I had the opportunity to study, to learn, to begin delving into some things of how politics, how government, how society could make a difference in issues. And for me, hunger was the one that rose to the, to the top. Like uh, many others before me, it was seeing some of the images on television or otherwise. Back then, it was a famine in Ethiopia. 
that seared itself into my conscience of, wow, this is the most basic of human needs. And usually, it's not just because of a natural disaster. And so that, that's what sparked me. The other element for me was my faith. And so having read through the Hebrew scriptures and the Christian scriptures and found all of these verses that talked about the poor, the widow, the orphan, said, I, I have to do something about that. And that was the spark. And so right after graduating, moved down to Washington, D.C., where the political fever bites in the Potomac, and it worked, and ended up working with a member of Congress and doing a number of things that you listed so eloquently there, and uh, went on to say, I can make a difference in this, and I want to keep doing it. Mentioned that he'd uh, grown up in Hudson Valley, New York, as we discovered a few minutes ago. But he grew up not too far from where I grew up, yep. uh, on the other side of the Hudson River. So it's yeah. good to have um, somebody from my old grounds here. So then, after you started in this job in Washington, mm -hmm. you ended up working in the federal government, but then in the nonprofit sector, and then back in the federal government. And in the federal government, you worked in a number of different parts of the government. So how did you? chart this path, what factored into your decisions, and as you went through it, what sorts of rewards did you find mm -hmm. from having this interesting set of jobs, and what sort of obstacles did you find from moving around the way that you did? I would like to say that it was my brilliant planning, but it wasn't. So when I was a uh, student, I went down to Washington, D.C., and heard uh, a member of Congress speak and this guy, Tony Hall, from Dayton, Ohio, talked about both his faith and his interest in doing something about hunger. And so I wrote him a letter, and I asked for an internship, and I never even got a response. I wasn't from his district, and that's how members of Congress work, so that didn't happen. So I moved to D.C. It turned out that the group house I moved into was a block and a half from where he and his family lived. So I started stalking him until he gave me in my first job. And I'm not sure this is recommended by our well, Office of Career Advancement. Exactly. But, no, but we hear the real stories. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he, as a sitting member of Congress, cared a great deal about hunger and went on a fast. So for 22 days, he didn't eat, just drank water. And that was his protest to his colleagues who he felt weren't paying enough attention to hungry people in our country or overseas. Out of that, he founded a nonprofit organization. And so he wrote on a napkin uh, his interest in a domestic Peace Corps focused on hunger. He had served in the Peace Corps himself, and so that was his, his uh, realm of reference. And he gave that to me, and he said, go make it happen. So that was an amazing experience of being given far too much responsibility, far too young, um, of what he was thinking, I don't know. But that, that allowed me to, to then begin what was my career path of being in the nonprofit sector, working on his congressional staff on Capitol Hill. He then got appointed as a Democrat by President Bush to become part of his administration as the US ambassador to the UN agencies dealing with hunger. So he dragged me kicking and screaming with him to Rome, Italy, where, <laughs> oh, okay. Um, but uh, those experiences, uh, for you guys as, as students thinking about what might be next, for me it was having found a mentor, a role model, and a boss who I could pour myself out for and try and help make more effective, and in turn, he invested in me in uh, amazing ways that led to a, a pretty amazing path that I never could have thought, sitting in your seats as students, oh, I'm gonna do this. Um, so it's been, it's been an amazing ride. It's been one that, as you noted, has blended uh, public service uh, in different forms, so with nonprofit organizations and with both the legislative and executive branches in two different administrations. I think the role of happenstance in one's career is, is pretty important in a way that we don't always fess up to people who are earlier stages of their careers, but it really can matter, right? So this right. first job that you were able to get with Congressman Hall 
mattered a lot in how the rest of your career has played out. It sure did. And to still be in contact with him, I just saw him and his daughter a couple weeks ago, um, is just a, a reflection of what does matter. So you, yes, happenstance or serendipity or providence plays a role, but then it's what you do with it. And yes. having done at least a good enough job with starting the Mickey Leland Hunger Fellows Program, the, the AmeriCorps VISTA program I got to start at the very beginning, um, then built from there and being willing to invest in a relationship that was a two-way street, um, he got a lot of service out of me and nice. it worked. Yep. Yes, that's a great story. Um, people talk about public service often uh, talk about sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And there are some sacrifices, but as I think about my own experience in public service, the personal rewards have been so great that I spend not much of my time thinking about what I've given up to be in public service, much more thinking about how lucky I am to have had the opportunities to be engaged in public service. I'm wondering what your take is Absolutely. on Absolutely. I couldn't agree more that Money was never a motivating factor for me in looking at the next job or, or what I was going to do coming out of school. And so being able to take a, an internship that was, I think my tax return the year out of school was $6,000 in income. And it's a little rough, but you figure it out and you make do. And then one thing led to another and the opportunity was then there, and I was one of the first employees at a startup nonprofit. And as such, you had to do everything. I was doing bookkeeping for the first time in my life, and I wish I had some of your economics <laughs> background, because that was just part of what I needed to do. And those lessons and experiences built on themselves. So you're right, for me, it wasn't a, a sacrifice. Um, I think now of you know being away from family. I have two young kids, and okay, Daddy, where are you off to now? And how? When are you coming back? And those those sacrifices are are real, but yes. you're absolutely right. The rewards of investing in other young people, uh, in making a, a difference, in being a mentor yourself, and helping encourage others' careers, as well as being able to point to that person was helped out of poverty or that person had access to, uh, to assistance that they might not have had otherwise. So one great story, I'm going back next week to the Rio Grande Valley in South Texas. That's one of the poorest places in our country. And uh, about six and a half years ago, right at the start of my time in the Obama administration, I went there because at that stage, Latinos were the hungriest demographic group in our country. And so in the Rio Grande Valley, that's 98% Mexican-American, it was one of the poorest and one of the hungriest places in our country. So uh, while there met Sister Norma Pimentel, who's a Catholic nun who runs Catholic charities of the Rio Grande Valley. So, I started courting this Catholic nun. And I wanted her to make sure she was participating in some of the USDA programs that could help those she served. And I asked, do you do, you do anything with our feeding programs currently? No, we, we do a lot of different stuff, but that's not one. So I, I started hiring Spanish-speaking staff, and we got uh, interns to come in who would call her and email her, and so the courtship to encourage her to become a partner happened. I went down back to the Rio Grande Valley a second time, ready to make my pitch, really excited, and she said, we'll do it. Last summer, in one of the poorest places in our country, she served over 100,000 meals to kids during the summer. Wow. That kind of reward I didn't do squat, I didn't make any of the meals, I didn't connect with the kids, but it was making the connection with her of recruiting or of, of doing what was required to make sure that she had the information and understanding that was necessary that led to some of those kids having a, another chance that they might not have had otherwise. It's just one of the many rewards I've had 
in my public service. That's a wonderful story. Yes. Um, do you have, um, before we move on to the broader issues mm -hmm. of the work that you're doing, do you have career advice for people here? So you talked about, I think, the importance of doing whatever jobs you end up with well, pouring yourself into it to really give the best value you can. You talked indirectly about the importance of persistence. I'm not sure I'd quite recommend stalking, but the <laughs> idea of getting an idea and sticking with it. Mm -hmm. Are there other, other traits that you think you have or have developed, other things that you've seen that you could offer? Yeah, one of the other ones that I think is especially appropriate for a forum at the Institute of Politics, the John F. Kennedy Jr. School of Public Poli School of Government at Harvard is a, a real recognition despite the times that solutions happen by people working together. And that was an example I had modeled for me. So Congressman Hall was a Democrat and his best friend in Congress was a Republican. And so I saw that being the case and I saw that even if their votes would cancel themselves out time and time again, they were able to work together on issues that they cared about. And so having absorbed that myself, that's, that's one where, you know, in academia, you might find somebody who disagrees with you or otherwise, but out in politics especially, but also in the real world, you find other uh, dynamics and, people who oppose what you are doing or stand for, and the ability to still work with them. Despite those disagreements is one of the things that I think has bode well for me, um, to be able to have Republican friends in a Democratic administration when I was serving under President Bush to say the same thing. That's been one of the things that I didn't get in a class and I wouldn't have seen otherwise that has made a big difference in my career. The other one I, I would stress is, is just the, the power of, of relationships, whether it be in a bipartisan way, whether it be connecting back with the, the person who mentored you, as, as I've been able to do, as well as building the relationships with those who are coming up after you. And especially in the tumultuous workplace now, I wouldn't be surprised if one of you ends up being my boss at some point. And I think that that can easily be the case more so than in the past. And I apologize, I thought that I had turned it off, but I was mistaken and I am, sorry. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more with yeah. those things you said about working people who you don't necessarily agree with all the time yep. and the importance of building those personal relationships over one's career. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, okay, so let's turn to the, to the bigger issues. Can you start with a short description of what VISTA does for people yep. who don't know? AmeriCorps VISTA, the Volunteers in Service to America, is uh, the national service program that puts human capital in the fight against poverty. So the ability to build the capacity of a nonprofit organization or a tribal or local government is what VISTAs do. And they're doing that in uh, realms like education, in housing, in uh, economic and community development. Uh, so just passing the Harvard University Federal Credit Union, VISTAs over the years have expanded credit unions. So there's a congresswoman from Milwaukee who got her start as a VISTA, having started a credit union in her inner city neighborhood in Milwaukee, because there were no banking services. It was redlined, it was one where the community said, we need something like this. So she, as a VISTA member, started the credit union that still exists today and that informs her work on the House Financial Services Committee. VISTAs are those boots on the ground helping address poverty in real ways in the communities around the country. So say a little more about the relationship you see between the federal government, local governments, and nonprofit mm -hmm. agencies. How though you, the extent to which you think their efforts are complements, are they in some ways substitutes? So you've been on both sides of that line essentially and you're now leading an agency that is itself 
essentially crossing that line. So tell you a little more about how you see those pieces fitting together. It's always a partnership. And this is something President Obama says all the time, that government can't take the place of a parent who isn't there, or really be in someone's life in a sustained way like another person can be. So the only way I've seen real results happen is through partnerships that bring together your taxpayer dollars and mine as federal resources with local resources, some governmental, some private sector, some from the nonprofit sector. All of that combines to be able to make a real difference in people's lives. So that for me has been a telling lesson from my career and one that's exciting to continue now where we have a federal government program, just celebrated 50 years last year, where the partnership isn't here's the grant or here's the macroeconomic tax policy that's gonna benefit you. Here's someone. Here's Roberta. Here's Walt. Here's Maggie, who's able to do the job that you've asked for. So in that give and take of we'd like to be able to do more, to address the needs of our community. This is where we're, we're hoping to go, but we can't get there on our own. Could a VISTA help us? And the answer more often than not is absolutely, and that's what's so exciting to see. That's great. So let's, let me ask a few things about hunger and then turn back to poverty more generally. So the US federal government has a large program um, that subsidizes people's purchases of food. It used to be called food stamps. It's now called the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. The federal government will spend $75 billion a year, this year on it, help 45 million people. Can you explain why that doesn't solve the problem of hunger in America? It's an amazingly effective safety net program. So during the recession of a few years ago, as you know, the cash welfare program that had been reformed under President Clinton didn't grow. In fact, it shrank. And what did grow is the SNAP, or Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, that was designed to be counter-cyclical. So that meant not that people got out of poverty, although some of our data from the Department of Agriculture show that Almost four million folks were lifted above the poverty line because of help buying groceries. And what's neat about the program is it's private, it's market-based, so you get some money on a card now. There are no stamps, which was one of the reasons for the name change. Just like your credit card or my debit card, and you use that to buy food. You can't buy alcohol, you can't buy non-food items but you go to the grocery store and you do that. One of the reasons why it doesn't lift more people out of poverty is it's based at a level of about a buck and a quarter a meal. A little less than that. But you can help yourself with some additional resources, money to spend at the grocery store, but you're not gonna be able to get out of poverty at an extra dollar a day per meal. So that's, that's one of the, the issues with it. One, one of the things that's uh, shown again and again is what an effective economic stimulus program it is, as I'm sure you encountered, is when people get this money, they spend it. And so that money during the recession and the uh, Recovery Act was an amazing tool to make sure there was more money being spent at the local grocery store. You don't see folks shopping for groceries in Rhode Island. Just, you do it where you need to, and so part of that is the, the boost to the economy. Right. Part of that is the boost that we see in the household food security. So the, the way it's set up is calories are cheap, but nutrients are expensive. So at the beginning of the month, when you have all your benefits, you're buying healthier, nutritious food. It's a little more expensive. 
Toward the end of the month when your benefits are running out and we know we have that data, we know what happens in the third week of the month now, then you're buying whatever you can find to fill your stomach. Say a little more about this. So the diets of more highly educated, higher income people differ in noticeable ways from diets of people with less education and less income. Mm -hmm. Some of that may be due to the difficulty in accessing food, so food deserts, as they're called. Yep. Some is due, presumably, to the story being there where you just don't have any money to go buy food, or you don't know what sorts of foods even you should be buying. How do you think about those various contributing factors? Yeah. It, food insecurity and malnutrition is a complex web, and the two sides of that coin are you could have not enough and be hungry, or you could have too much of some things and be obese. And that's what we're encountering now in a very real way. Um, so some of that is education level. Some of that is access, where if there is no uh, fresh produce in your neighborhood and you're spending your benefits or your, your dollars at the corner store that has nothing but junk, well, that's because taking three buses across town to get to the supermarket or in a rural area where it's even more isolated, it's just not a real easy option. But a lot of that is still ability to, to pay, where the generations before, grandma might have had the garden out back and she was canning and baking and making it all, well, the, the forces in society have changed enough where that's not happening, both because of time as well as other access to, to that knowledge or resource. But one of the exciting things we're seeing is a real rejuvenation of that interest in growing one's food in cities, so urban agriculture is taken off in meat and exciting ways. We see vistas helping um, create not just community gardens, but whole food systems to address some of the dynamics that you mentioned where um, I don't have access, I don't have enough money, I don't have enough time. Well, here are some elements that we can do to, to create a community-supported agriculture system where you can spend some of your SNAP dollars to purchase uh, fresh fruits and vegetables. You can, we have uh, some exciting stuff coming out of, um, started in places in Michigan and elsewhere where now you have cities and communities doubling the SNAP benefits at farmer's markets. So you spend $5 and you get $10 worth of fresh fruits and vegetables. So it's really exciting to see some of these local homegrown responses right. to a trend that you identify as continues to be a vexing one. That's very interesting. So um, thinking about poverty more broadly, I'm curious about how much time VISTA volunteers spend addressing what you might think of as the most immediate needs, people who right now don't have food or shelter or clothing they need, and they need help immediately. But there are also a set of underlying causes of poverty, and I think about things like people who have not been able to finish high school and can't get a job, people in unstable family arrangements who have trouble taking care of children. How do you distribute the skilled people you have across those different sorts of ways of addressing poverty? It's a good question. In the 90s when President Clinton created AmeriCorps, VISTA came under that umbrella. And AmeriCorps members do much of the direct service uh, that you touched on. So there's an AmeriCorps program with Food Corps that's doing much of that. Here's the direct impact that we can have in growing food, in doing some of that nutrition education. VISTAs always, from the get-go, from Kennedy's idea to Johnson's incarnation of it, were designed to focus more on the latter. Were designed to focus on building the capacity of communities so that poverty wasn't intractable. And that's where VISTAs are working now. So we have a lot of folks working on education, where it's the recruiting volunteer tutors to help make sure that GED is acquired. 
Instead of doing the tutoring oneself, it's com connecting those out who can help on an even broader way. So with that, we're involved in education in a big way. Uh, we're involved in housing as another big sector where if you don't have a safe place to sleep, it's really tough to focus on what's next. So hunger is what I've dealt with most of my career is the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You don't eat in the long term, you eat right now. But our response, VISTA's response, isn't to here's another backpack full of food for the weekend, as is some of what's happening at food banks and elsewhere, but rather how can we recruit more volunteers to help in a more sustainable way. So we have a great VISTA project in Ohio that's working with folks who come into food pantries to get their immediate needs met, and then they take some time to sit down and go through what's basically a turbo tax for federal benefits and find out that they can get uh, the earned income tax credit or a child tax credit or some of the other benefits that allow them to find a little more stability to get that yeah. next step. That so that's where we find our work happening. That's very interesting. As you know, that many, many Americans don't apply for or receive federal benefits to which they are entitled right. under the law. The take-up rates on the benefits are surprisingly low if you haven't seen these numbers before. Right. We, we're, one of the things that we worked on uh, across the, the administration at the Department of Agriculture um, this, these past few years has been just that. So at the beginning in 2009 or so, only about 72% of those who are eligible for the SNAP program, you're right, there are many other benefits out there, but only about seven out of 10 folks who were eligible applied. It was much lower among Latinos, hence my courtship of Sister Norma, was much lower among senior citizens. And now, through some diligent efforts, some from VISTAs in partnership with the Department of Agriculture, that number's now more than four out of five. It's more than 80%. So wow. it's dr been driven up because you're right. That dilemma of it's out there, it's already law, it's just right. not being taken advantage of, and that's the way to, to help make sure folks get a hand up out of poverty and are able to stay there. Okay, so then I'll ask one more question, then we'll turn it over to you folks. So this is your, this is your few minute warning. Um, as you think about VISTA going forward, are there particular challenges that you see, goals that you've set for yourself or the team of people you work with? This is now in its 51st year, and it's an amazing foundation. It's a great track record from the first group of VISTAs who were sworn in at the White House by President Lyndon Johnson to now. It's, it's pretty neat that it still does work to put talented, passionate young people in positions where they can come alongside a local community, sometimes their own, to make a difference. And one of the priorities then is my top priority now in working with the poorest demographic group in our country of Native Americans. And Indian country is still uh, experiencing the trauma of the history of attempted genocide, of broken treaties, of all of the layers that are there that now we see the symptoms of more and more. And rather than just looking at the symptoms and throwing our hands up. My interest is in having VISTAs make even more of a difference in Indian country. So my hope, perhaps even among this group here, is that there would be some who say, that's what I wanna do. I wanna make a difference in a place in the United States of America that is in such dire need, where we have the opportunity without traveling overseas to make an unbelievable difference in Indian country, where now six of the 10 poorest counties in our entire country are reservations in the Dakotas. And to know that the Crow Creek Reservation in the middle of South Dakota has an annual per capita income of $5,213 in the richest country in the history of the world 
is something that I want to do something about. And now with AmeriCorps Vista as the platform, that's what I'm hoping to do, and I would love your help in doing that. And whether that's on the Pine Ridge Reservation, where they're uh, recruiting for a Vista leader right now, or working with some of the tribal colleges and universities where we have partnerships, that's uh, my top priority and my particular interest in keeping the foundation that we have, but addressing a challenge that unfortunately is still with us. That is pretty inspiring. I hope somebody does sign up. I think you must be a great recruiter for Vista. Um, okay, so uh, I want to hear what's on your minds. What questions do you have for Max about his work, about his career path? There are um, two ground rules, I will say. The first is that as you start, please identify yourself. And the second is, please ask a question. And one of our colleagues said at an event last week, you can tell it's a question, but it ends with a question mark. <laughs> Whereas if it were a statement, it would end with a period. So please. All right, uh, hi, thank you for coming, Mr. Finberg. My name is Sam Leichinger. I'm a sophomore at the college. Uh, so my question is, with an increasingly shrinking middle class, it seems that the SNAP and AmeriCorps VISTA programs aren't just supplemental. They seem to be at the very basis and the forefront of alleviating, alleviating poverty. How do you ensure that AmeriCorps VISTA continues to change to supplement this increased need, and what would you like to do that you can't uh, at the moment in the future due to bureaucratic or otherwise issues? Uh, what do you do to continue to improve? Mm -hmm. Good. So the dynamics of poverty have changed in our 51 years, and having to adapt with that is, is part of the deal. One of the ways that we're doing just that, and VISTAs in particular are engaged in more and more, is in STEM education. So it wasn't on the table when it was created, but now to have VISTAs who are creating whole science, technology, engineering, and math ecosystems to allow for students who might not otherwise be exposed, even in this digital age, to the skills they're gonna need to succeed, to be able to prepare them to, to get a job, which is still and will always be the best ticket out of poverty, is, is one of those new ways. So uh, there's a science museum in Central Texas that I visited a couple months ago. And the VISTA volunteer there is working to bring in low-income uh, middle school and high school students to access the resources of the museum in a way that wouldn't happen otherwise. If they were just passively there waiting for whoever walked in the door, it wouldn't be the same. And so what we find is the capacity that a VISTA is able to bring brings folks who need to be exposed to both benefits and programs as well as resources that will make a, a difference in the long run. And we see that in, in a number of different ways, but it's the education piece that is, that is one that hasn't changed, that is still a, a foundation stone of what VISTAs are continuing to do and what I hope they, they do. Then answer to the second part, where we're hoping to go is in the President's budget request that just came out. He proposed a, an increase of about $3.5 million to our $92 million budget. So, relatively small, but in particular, it's recognizing the challenge of climate change and how that's going to impact vulnerable communities. So we know that from a decade ago when Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans, who were the ones who suffered most? The poor, the elderly, the disabled. So this prospect, if Congress were to improve the increase, would allow VISTAs to work in resilience uh, roles in a new and different way that's, that's changing with the times that hopefully will make a difference. Thank so, you. Thank you, Sam. Good evening, thank you for coming. My name is Kelly Peaton. Uh, I'm pursuing my master's in public policy here at the school. Um, and I'm interested in how you think about effectiveness uh, specifically in regards to where you place VISTAs and in thinking about how you can place the limit, limited amount of volunteers you have in programs you think are going to have the most impact. 
very good question and a tough one. The dilemma between effectiveness and helping build the capacity of those who don't even have the ability to apply is a struggle that I recognize is going to be with me, with the program long after I'm there. But for example, the persistent poverty counties, those places that have had 20% or higher poverty for more than 30 years are mostly rural. We don't have enough vistas there. And the, the trade-off between I need somebody who's effective, who can measure their results, who can demonstrate an impact and report it back to us so that some very cool master's students can say this is a good program and it's effective is, is one that there will continue to be attention so we have, a, have to balance the, the intermediaries, the programs that we know are gonna be well run and, and make a difference um, with making sure that the low capacity, uh, high poverty areas are still getting their share of vistas because that's what we were designed to do from the beginning is one that I haven't found the right balance, it is a paradox, but is one that we're gonna continue to grapple with. Thank you. Thank you again for speaking with us. Uh, my name is Yang Lee. I'm a Master in Public Policy student here at the Kennedy School. I served as a VISTA in Hurricane Sandy recovery at St. Bernard Project okay. around the New York area. And I'm curious how you as the leader of America VISTA, our politicians, and you know, we as individuals and students should help make, could help make the national service experience more of a common part of the career of a public servants or of Americans more generally? Thank you, I'll just take that. Um, well, thank you as well for serving. I think that as you noted, uh, it's a great uh, first step or second step in a career path that can bring you to the Kennedy School. It's a terrific opportunity to gain some of the experiences and skills that you might not otherwise in a first job out of school or even at a grad school. So it's, it's a great way to recognize the enlightened self-interest. I'm interested in helping, but I also wanna make sure I have some of the skills and experiences I need to go from there. And then seeing that as the stepping stone. One of the other big parts of that conversation is expanding service opportunities. So President Obama just had a, a task force that brought together some great minds from both sides of the aisle to say, how can we expand national service? We have uh, um, retired General Stanley McChrystal leading up this effort called the Franklin Project, where it would be an effort that service would be a part, would be an expected part, as you were saying, of everybody's resume, of everybody's start, and could be military service, or as John McCain has come to acknowledge and recognize, that military service isn't the only way, so civilian service would be another great way of giving back, of paying it forward, of also addressing the challenges that face our country in a real way, so I'm excited by some of the impacts that those conversations are already beginning to have. And it could start with the service project, as you guys are doing on Friday, and say, I wanna do a little more, I wanna get more engaged. Um, so my hope is more folks like you will, will use that as the first step and then go on to do other things within public service and public policy. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, I'm, <clears throat> I'm Jack, and I'm a freshman at the college. Uh -huh. I was just wondering, to what extent does AmeriCorps VISTA try to make sure that VISTAs are representative of the communities that they're serving? It's been something that we've done in a, a great way from the very beginning. The goal was always to combine folks who came out of Harvard College or the Kennedy School or places like this with folks from the community themselves. And so when those first vistas were sent to the slums of Hartford and the hollows of Appalachia and the migrant camps of Central California, it was then a combination as it is now. 
So we just got some data uh, that showed that our um, diversity is, it continues to increase within the, the cohorts of VISTAs we have. Um, but we also continue to make it an effort because of the way we're structured where you can recruit nationally at nationalservice.gov is the, the way to take a look, um, as well as the community sponsor, the host organization, recruits themselves from their own networks. So that's why it's key in, in my role to both recruit folks who will apply, as well as sponsors that reflect the community we're working with. And that's exactly why is we gotta make sure that we have folks who represent the communities we're serving. Thank you so much. Yep. Hi, um, my name is Charlotte. I'm a freshman at the college. And my question is how you think the um, upcoming presidential election um, will impact your work, especially depending upon who wins the nomination and who eventually wins the presidency. Good question. And one that uh, not all of the candidates still in the mix have uh, issued their platforms on national service. Um, have, yep. have some? issued platform? Uh, there Jeb Bush, who is no longer a candidate, um, <laughs> comes from a long line of uh, public servants and had uh, a, a part of what he was talking about around national service. Um, so I don't know exactly. Um, I do know that uh, on the Republican side, both Romney, the previous one in 2012, and McCain, as I mentioned before, had national service planks as part of their platforms. Um, I know that uh, if Hillary Clinton were elected, her husband would have something to say about continuing with national service in AmeriCorps. It's, it's not something that's been fleshed out yet. Um, it is something that the more the folks that understand that the resources that go to, to help the community organizations, the congregations, the faith-based groups that are those front lines of combating poverty, of providing those hands up, a lot of that is reflected in what VISTAs and what AmeriCorps members are doing. Hopefully that will mean that uh, it doesn't get lumped in with some of the rest of the programs that are on the chopping block. Thank you so much. Thanks. And, and you've had, we've had now history now, the past few decades, of Correct. support from presidents on both sides of the aisle for this sort of community-based yep. work. In a great way. Uh, the former Republican mayor of Indianapolis who spent some time here at the Kennedy School, Steve Goldsmith, was one of those champions under President Bush. You see that in a variety of ways that, again, we're very hopeful will continue. Hi, I'm Melissa Bender. I'm a first year MPP student here at the Kennedy School and I was also a direct service member in Washington DC last year. Uh, thanks so much for coming and speaking with us. I just wanted to ask you, what does um, AmeriCorps and AmeriCorps VISTA consider to be success? A lot of what we talk about at the Kennedy School is moving from outputs to outcomes. So instead of just hours of service and the amount of uh, number of uh, service members that you all um, have serving in these communities, what does success look like for AmeriCorps and AmeriCorps VISTA? Great question, and where did you serve? Uh, reading Partners in Washington, D.C. Terrific, thank you. Um, the re real dilemma and difficulty of how do you get that next step in evaluation, how do you measure that something is changed completely is tricky, and one where we're looking for some of those proxies so it's not just hours served, it's not just pounds of food raised. Um, and we have some performance measures in place that are beginning to get at some of that. Um, one of the ones that also isn't all the way down the line to outcomes, but we're able to show that the $92 million federal investment was leveraged more than two to one. So VISTAs were able to raise uh, about $223 million last year. So that goes into the community in, in kind and cash resources. Uh, one qualitative example is Michelle, who's a VISTA in Eastern Kentucky, another one of the poorest places in our country and uh, former coal country. And she and her teammate worked to reach out to more than 700 laid off coal miners to get them through uh, retraining 
and job placement. A couple hundred of them got jobs. And so one of them went from being a coal miner to now being a computer coder. And that job has made a difference in his life. But one of the other things that we are able to point to is she helped to write a successful grant there at her sponsoring organization that brought in another $20 million to the community that we know wouldn't have had it without her. It still doesn't get to that final level of is Corey, the coder, now able to get off of some of the other federal assistance programs, take care of the things he needs. We are able to see those results, but it's much more on the qualitative basis as opposed to across the board where we still are more easily able to measure the outputs as opposed to the outcomes. Maybe you can help us find that uh, solution. Thanks. Yep. Hi, uh, my name is Tavish McLeod, and I was a service member during uh, Tropical Storm Irene in Vermont. Uh -huh. And this may be anecdotal just to the area I was serving in, but what we noticed with the majority of volunteers, they tended to come from middle class backgrounds, and we noticed that there was a severe dearth of maybe getting people actually from low income uh, families or low income backgrounds to actually join the service program. I know by nature, just given the living stipend and thing, that sort of, that prevents people from being able to join, and I was wondering if you had any strategies to address mm -hmm. that. With whom did you serve, John? Uh, I served with uh, voluntary organizations active in disaster. Uh-huh, yep. One of the ways that our model works is you have the national recruitment, doing that here, nationalservice.gov, make sure I get that plug in, uh, as well as the need to make sure that our sponsoring agencies reflect that dynamic. So. Uh, we're, as I mentioned before, looking to work even closer with tribal colleges and universities. So I'm interested in doing that as a way of making sure that their students themselves are then applying for and doing those VISTA roles in those communities. So that, I think, is the part of the effort that we have underway, that's been underway, but we're redoubling to look at those sponsoring organizations that could be the tickets to making sure more folks are recruited from their local communities. So next week I'll go back to the Rio Grande Valley, meet again with Sister Norma, because there are no current VISTA sponsors there that are hosting folks. They'll be able to recruit from the folks they know and their networks in a way that I can't do uh, from Washington DC or from a national platform. In addition to working with those intermediary organizations that ha do have more access to, to folks that might not be here. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And sporting the gear. There we go. Had to, yeah, so uh, my name is Colin Jones and I'm a 2014 alum here of the Kennedy School and then I did two years of VISTA uh, Bay Area Community Resources in Oakland. So um, I managed to survive on just polos and sweatshirts for two years of uh, VISTA. And then two more in State AmeriCorps here in Boston. So I remember around my time, which is 08 to 2010, we were, you know, everyone was really excited about the expansion of AmeriCorps, the t potential adding tens of thousands more members. Uh, and that just has uh, not seemingly come to pass. And so I think there was uh, uh, former Senator Kennedy got behind a, uh, a bill. Um, and you know, my thinking was at the time, it was very exciting, there was a national conference in San Francisco. I was like, all right, this is great. We've got you know, the Bush family, we've got folks all across the aisle, and it, it just seemingly has not happened. So I wonder what we can learn from that. Um, you know, is there a way to get above the political fray on national service? I thought that, that we sort of could. Is it just, right. it just get caught up in the budget battle? So I just wonder, Maybe more of the details of this last round of you know sort of getting our hopes up about national service mm -hmm. and then maybe not not having it. but to bring it up a little bit I mean I was a Vista and it was a huge hugely impactful experience so I now work in Ed Policy here in Boston and you know having been in actual schools is a huge deal and makes a huge difference in doing policy work so not to bring it down but um, and I still stay in touch with both the organizations I did Vista with and right. and state but what can we learn from that last round and how can we kind of in this sort of hyper partisan time get to that place yeah. where we're really doing that. Expansion. Thank you again for your service. I appreciate that. Um, 
One of the great things is your dean has now fixed the macroeconomic picture. So sequestration is uh, fortunately not uh, what is gripping us in DC right now, but the budget struggles still continue, and that's exactly what happened. The buzzsaw of the optimism of the Kennedy Serve America Act in 2009, we had that bipartisan support is right, and then the Great Recession that crashed and meant that the expansion of federal government programs just wasn't happening um, is, is what happened. And our hope is that uh, we can break through the noise of um, the effectiveness of our programs, the impact that it has on communities, the bang for the buck that we get. We have uh, public-private partnerships now that are expanding in a big way. Uh, Hopefully, we'll be able to start with a new president that will be willing and able, as opposed to just willing, to continue the trajectory of expanding national service um, in a big way. We're, we're hopeful. Still, still maintain the optimism. Thanks. Keep hope alive. So I want to give you the, another minute to just Great. talk about optimism. You've seen a lot of You've been in a lot of very poor places in this country and elsewhere in the world, I think. Yeah. You've seen a lot of people struggling terribly, but you're a very upbeat person. Yeah. And the remarks you've given tonight have really been uplifting. So how do you come there? I realize that hope is one of the greatest things that you can give. And so for me, taking that from my faith in God, uh, that this is not the whole picture, is what gives me that hope to be optimistic in the face of difficult challenges, in the face of nastiness. Um, but people, over and over and over again, even after being disappointed by how nasty or petty or selfish some people can be, on the flip side, you find people who win, who go against the odds and make all the difference. So I have been privileged to meet some of those folks, to actually have heard Mother Teresa speak or to, to meet Desmond Tutu, the, the luminaries, the folks who've sat here before, the, the folks who really inspire. Um, but on an individual level, I'll, I'll close with this story. As I was sharing with a friend of mine at the Department of Agriculture that I was leaving to go run AmeriCorps Vista. He told me about Walt. I said, who's Walt? Walt was the Vista on my reservation when I was a kid. This guy is a Mescalero Apache from uh, the middle of New Mexico. And he still remembered Walt, the Vista, who took him on a field trip to a national park, one of the first times he'd been off the reservation. And it expanded his horizons. And the programming that he did with him and his friends, Walt was able to instill in him an interest in the environment and conservation and connecting his Native American traditions and spirituality with environmental justice. He then went on to get his degree that might or might not have happened. He became his tribe's natural resource manager. He then became the state forester for New Mexico. He now is in charge of the whole United States Forest Service. Almost 200,000 acres, almost 30,000 employees. And Butch Blazer's life was changed because of Walt. And so, I need more of those, but that's an example of why I still have hope that one person can change another person's life. In this case, to bring them out of poverty and to inspire them to something that they might not have seen otherwise, to, to help bring a first generation student to college for the first time and say, this could be your reality too. You could do this. That's what keeps me going. And I get to meet Vistas who've done that, who are doing that now, and I hope that you guys become some of those folks. Um, whether it's looking at what's after undergrad or after your MPP or, 
or otherwise, this is an amazing opportunity to give that optimism to others. It's infectious. Share it. That's a great way to end. Thank you all for coming. Thank you, Mac, very, very much.